people deluded i'm back again i hope you're all doing well and safe and you're in good spirits on this tuesday morning welcome back to another edition of the deluded podcast big up yourself however you're listening to this better yet you know spotify anchor apple google whatever podcast service you're listening to make sure you're subscribed or whatever they refer to it as so you're alert to all my content coming up as usual make sure you're following me across all the socials links in the description youtube deluded guna 04 like i said I hope you're all doing well and safe this Tuesday morning. You know, the Premier League is finally finished for this game week. You know, Spurs will get into it, but got over the line against Burnley. It was a negative week for Arsenal. You know, City dropped points. Chelsea and Man United dropped points. Really, only Spurs fans are laughing in comparison to top six rivals. That and Leicester, because Leicester absolutely did a number on, on, on Arsenal. Showed the difference in game management. Showed the difference in tactics and just outdone us, people. So let's jump straight into the Premier League action. We lost on Sunday, you know. I'm big up to the Arsenal fans. I think we've personally raised £34,000 for local food banks and, um, you know, helping people in need, helping people where that 15 quid might as well be 15 million because that's the impact it will make. Not these fat cat rich Premier League guys, you know, who probably used to spending £15 on some apple juice, you know. And and we'll get into it earlier later on in this podcast, but it's a bit rich seeing people like Mike Ashley talk about it and, and criticise the decision when unless you're a Leicester player, chairman or whatever, they're the only ones that can talk because Leicester City are the only ones that said no to this to this 15 quid pay-per-view nonsense. They're the only Premier League club that in this instance incident, sorry, instance better yet, acted with anything close to a grain of integrity. Every other member of the Premier League should be ashamed, my team included, because we say we care about the fans. You thought with COVID, you know, it seemed like the fans that have been under underrepresented, underappreciated, just damn right taken advantage of, were finally being sympathised with and whatnot. But as you saw with this, as you've seen with many different tasks, you know this is brought to light. If if ever that they don't care about you, they care about your they care about your wallet. They don't care about your family. They care about your wallet. But we'll get into that later. Now, like I said, man, big up Leicester for that. But for other reasons, you know, they walked away with the three points. I think Leicester City done a complete number on Arsenal. You know, it was lovely game management. Obviously, it might have been a different um, Leicester City from the start had Jamie Vardy, you know, had 90 minutes in his tank. Obviously, half an hour from Jamie Vardy was all that's needed and he's somewhat a Premier League legend if if there ever was one. But... um, I just feel that's a reason as to why we saw it. I felt Leicester were a bit timid. They held their shape. They, you know, they they tried to counter. In fact, in the first half, they were quite defeated. They were allowing David Luiz and Gabriel way too much space. You saw David Luiz picking some lovely passes. And to be fair, when David Luiz came off for Arsenal, it was the beginning of the end, really, because any time... You know, big up David Luiz. When a team is going to sit back like Leicester did, you know, 4-5-1, men behind the ball, 11 men behind it, concede the space for the centre-halves and just ma- maintain their own shape, you're going to need someone to take it upon themselves to play difficult passes. And David Luiz was doing that. When he came off, we lost that. I think he was one of the only Arsenal players can say they had a perfect performance of such. And we all know David Luiz is a special guy at times when it comes to defending. But anytime you're playing in a game and your and you're centre-half, sorry for making all this noise, people I just dropped something um my deodorant just come out of the shower um anytime the creative your center half is your most creative player you're in problems and I've got a lot of time for Arteta you know defensively we're not perfect we I don't think we've we've kept one clean sheet or something like that in 11 games but there's been an improvement 
for me, the only criticism, and, and people think it's being negative. I back Arteta until he gives me a reason not to back him. But same way, same way I asked, you know, I, I back Aubameyang, but he needs to ask himself why he's not scoring. Um, I feel Arteta has a lot to do in terms of attacking options. I feel all the attacking players, apart from Saka, need to pull it out because he's the only one playing anything close to his potential. And big up Saka because I think the Leicester game was his 50th Arsenal um, game. Um, big up the 19-year-old, um, 18, 19-year-old. Fantastic achievement but same way people i don't think we're doing anything i don't know if we're doing anything on the training ground to suggest we're going to be better in an attacking sense you know it's not as white and black as saying you bring in our or you bring in a creative man and they're going to solve the issues because by we've been down this road with mezzi ozil you know you need movement you need runners you need people to create space the creative man makes the difference because that's his quality but everyone's got to want to play those difficult passes within reason you look at liverpool trent wants to play difficult passes robertson wants to play difficult passes it's the front three, you know, people might, might, you know, Fabinho's playing centre-half, but Fabinho will try. Wijnaldum, Henderson, they'll all try. Henderson set up a banger for Mane the other day. Is it against Chelsea? Could be wrong. Um, so it's not as white and black as that. And I think, you know, I like, you know, I would prioritise defending. Um, you know, we're making building blocks, but out, we're, we're focusing on defending too much. And you look at the game against City um, and Liverpool, I think we thought about the opposition too much and not what we could do. And also to a degree against Leicester, like he went four at the back. I can't criticise the team, the team lineup and that. But you're almost seeing us settle into a back five, you know. You're seeing Xhaka pull out to, the, to left back. Obviously, that's with Saka and Tierney and Aubameyang and all these guys on the left-hand side. Xhaka's covering the space. But there's many times he's slotting into a back four, well, five when the fullback's tucking. You've got him, you've got Partey isolated in the middle and players are not even passing to him. When, he do, when they do, he's making something happen. Sabios, you know, this wide centre mid row isn't working. There was too much gaps in our midfield. And, you know, and when they, you know, there was too much gaps for me. And when they were close, they were too close. Like, there's no point passing five yards next to each other. You need space, you know, with, 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 within reason. Part is the only one, really, you know, because that's his job. So I think we shot ourselves in the foot, but Leicester soaked up our pressure. You know, at nil nil, you're always gonna have confidence. At half time, it's a big half. You know what is what is said at half time because the Arsenal that came out went back into old habits, was sluggish. Even Gabriel, I'm not scapegoating Gabriel because I think he was one of the better players. Just to illustrate a point, he's starting to play sloppy passes and we're switching off. And this is a lot of these players talk about wanting to get top four and being around the block. You know, where's the game management? Apologies, my alarm went off. Um, where's the game management? You know, at nil-nil, you know against Leicester, Jamie Vardy's going to play half an hour. You know last game, you know, against Jamie Vardy at the Emirates, you took your you took your um, eyes off him and he scored within the dying embers of the game. And he's done it again. You know, there's midfielders, nobody's tracking the runners. It's 2v1. Gabriel was telling Mustafi to tuck in. It was a culmination of bad decisions that that allowed um, Senji's under and Vardy to combine, you know. Two subs off the bench, soaked up all our pressure, walked away with the three points. It's their first victory at the Emirates since 1973 or better yet against Arsenal. Credit to Brendan Rodgers and for me, it's a test fail because I hear all the players talk about top four and all of this. You need to be able to play great against the top six teams or leave with some sort of pride. Yeah, we didn't get a cricket score against Liverpool and against Man City so we can save face. But we was toothless. We didn't make them work. You know, we didn't force their attacking players to show their individual quality you know Liverpool had to work harder against Sheffield United this week you know Leeds have made have made Man United Man City work harder for a point you know Leicester 
West Ham put them to the sword. We didn't. And that's that's the beauty of the Premier League because Leicester smacked City and then Leicester got smacked by West Ham. You know, West Ham drew against City. We've beat West Ham. We've beat Leicester in the Carling Cup. I had to say that, but we ain't beat Leicester in the league. The league's just full of randomness and Arsenal shot themselves in the foot. And for me, three top six clashes, failed all three. Yeah, you could say, it. what's it? We've beat Leicester in the in the cup and we've beat Liverpool in the cup. And, you know, I'm not belittling that. But the league is the bread and butter. The league is where you've got to show 38-game consistency. And so far, we haven't displayed that. You know, the only top performance, I'd say, is against Fulham. And looking at Fulham, with all due respect to Fulham, their fans. And, you know, I'm, you never know. DG might get a scouting job at Fulham one day, so I don't want to burn bridges. They're expe- you're expected to beat them. You don't need to be at your best. You know, Fulham are bordering on the Europa League side for me and that you can rotate the team and beat them. They can't buy a win um, away from home, people. Um, uh, at home or away from home. They are struggling. We- apart from that, you know, we got away with it against West Ham. We got away with it in the Carling Cup against Leicester. And then, you know, you don't always get away with it. And that's the thing. You know, you've got to look at things for what they are. Because when you win, everybody just wants to shut up about things. When you lose, everyone wants to be doom and gloom. Very p- few people want to look at the wider picture. And that is, you know... This this Arsenal team is full of bad habits. I, I rate Arteta and I mess with Arteta and he's still my guy. But I, I I am getting a bit baffled with some of the decisions he's doing. You know, my main pet peeve is attacking. He's got to get us playing a bit better. It's down to the players, as I've said, but he's got to get us playing a bit better. You know, he needs to settle, at least for me, for the next couple of games. Can you settle on an 11? It's not healthy. One minute of Bamian on the left, then on the right, and Ketia through the middle. Then he's on the left. And you're doing, you know, there's many players he's doing bare things. And we haven't got a team like City where you can play Bernardo on the left, on the right, or central mid, or deep line playmaker, or Rehe. Sterling through the middle, even in, in in relation to a striker, people. One thing I like about Arteta is, you know, he takes it on a game-by-game game basis. You know, the players that might be the guys to get the job done or, or attempt to get the job done against Liverpool might not be the same against City. I like that, but our squad is at levels. And for me, he hasn't settled on a striker. And that's that's a pet peeve for me because it's crippling us, you know. I don't. I think he rates all our forwards or attack wide options. I mean, striking options. I just don't think he's fully 100% convinced on them. Like, I think he rates with Lacazette. He rates Lacazette highly, but I don't think he's convinced convinced in Lacazette and neither am I really Lacazette's a good player but he's not going to score enough goals in this division he can't pull you know if Aubameyang goes we're in trouble Lacazette can't lead the line alone and like you saw yesterday he's going to have good periods and bad moments you know well against Leicester he was pretty poor in my opinion far too concerned with moaning and fouling and actually trying to put the ball in the back of the net but each to their own I don't think he's convinced in Lacazette's capabilities. You know, we can't run him behind. I don't think he's convinced over a 38-game period that Aubameyang is his number nine through the middle because of alleged maybe hold-up player or whatever. He's played Willian in there. I see a bit of, you know, playing Raheem Sterling false nine with that Willian sort of thing. The Willian thing ain't going to bang. You know, Eddie, I think he likes his youthful energy and pressing, but there's something, you know, preventing him. So I don't think he really trusts anyone through the middle, and that's a big reason as to why our... Um, attack is quite imbalanced people but we lost you know three tests against the top six we failed all of them so far in the Premier League so it is what it is hopefully Aubameyang gets back to goal scoring ways in the league I know he did last week in the Europa but he has gone five league games without a goal for the first time since November 2014 this happened while he was playing for Borussia Dortmund his expected goals total um of 0.43 ranks only 77th in the Premier League this campaign, which highlights his struggles. Um, you know, that can all change. 
Um, on the flip side, and a striker that is scoring goals at the moment, Jamie Vardy, you know, like I said, Leicester picked up their first away win at Arsenal since 1973 and ended a run of 27 games without an away victory against them in all competitions. Jamie Vardy has now scored 11 goals in 12 matches against Arsenal, with only Wayne Rooney's 12 scoring more against the Gunners in the competition. Vardy is also the highest scoring away player at the Emirates in top flight ties. He's got five goals and you'd back him to take Wayne Rooney's thing you know when I think think of Wayne Rooney I think of Didier Jogba I think of Jamie Vardy what a front three that would be to play against Arsenal and I'm sure there's about 20 maybe more Arsenal defenders that would all probably poo their boots at the prospect of facing them but enough about Arsenal people and moving on to Wolves now Wolves versus Newcastle you know Jimenez just can't stop scoring from outside the box Murphy did well to get his rescue a point for his team with a free kick Wolves keeper Patricio should be doing a bit better. You can't allow yourself to be beaten from there. You heard Murphy speak about low and hard, um, that he was working on that in the training ground. And that's what the analytical team at Newcastle were saying. So that's something they've worked on. For Leeds, I mean, for, for Wolves, obviously it's two points dropped and Wolves have had a bit of a shaky opening period to the Premier League. Um, Jacob Murphy um, has scored his first Premier League goal in 1,009 days, people, since netting at the Etihad against Man City back in January 2018. So he knows how to pick them. Um, that was the only shot on target in the second half for Newcastle. And, you know, similar circumstances like Spurs. They hardly had a shot on target until in the second half, until the courtesy of VAR, they got that penalty. Um but Newcastle, specifically Steve Bruce, won't care. You know, a point is, isn't the worst of results. Um, each of Raul Jimenez's, Jimenez's last two Premier League goals have come from outside the box, people, with none of his first 32 in the competition coming from distance. So maybe that's something Jimenez has been working on. Now, Everton, you know, in a crazy Premier League season where everyone's dropping points and nobody's made it their own, many tipped Carlo Ancelotti's men to mount a title challenge. Um, you know, it can still be done. You know, you can't draw too many conclusions and hot takes but you know they kind of brought back down to reality you know they had 10 men 10 men Everton succumbed to a 2-0 defeat against Southampton Southampton for me pressed well moved the ball well you know Danny Ings looked good um, stupid red card from Dejane to, for, for that foul on Kyle Walker-Peters by the way Ward Prowse obviously bagged and it's a big season for him you know um, if he wants to go to the Euros and whatnot. big up Southampton for the three points you know Ward Prowse and that's still the spoils and end Everton's unbeaten run Southampton have beaten this, the team starting the day on top of the Premier League table for the first time in 12 matches since a 1-0 victory at Anfield um, in September 2013 against Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool at the time. Everton have had a man sent off in back-to-back Premier League games for the first time since May 2011. After failing to score in any of his first 24 Premier League appearances, people, Shea Adams has now scored six goals in his last 12 in the competition. So maybe he's found his level. You know, he's got some important goals. He's bagged against Chelsea. He's scored some important goals and maybe he feels comfortable. Danny Ings doing what he can for my fantasy league, people. Danny Ings has provided two assists in a Premier League game for the first time with this, his 117th appearance in the competition. 
So it is what it is in that regards, people. Moving on to Liverpool and a 2-1 victory over Sheffield United. Sheffield United went down fighting, you know. Yota saved the, de saved the day and that new signing is making an impression at Liverpool. Yota is the first player to score in his first two home appearances for Liverpool in the Premier League since Sadio Mane in September 2016. And I guess my phone is a Liverpool fan because it went off and gave me a Liverpool alert courtesy of the Athletic while I was saying that, you know. Fabinho, is it a is it a penalty on Oli McBurnie? I think it is. You know, he's a, he's a good player. He knows he shouldn't be going to ground there. You know, Sandra Burr stepped up. You know, Brewster played against Liverpool, and it weren't the sort of revenge game against your old team that you thought would happen. Mo Salah, unfortunately, was denied a cracker of a goal, but you know, Yotta and Cole patterned it up for them, man, really and truly. Who scored the other? Yotta and who scored the second? Firmino, you know, Firmino hasn't bagged too often at, at, at Anfield or bagged at all too tough in the Premier League and you know definitely this season I've seen a lot of Liverpool fans kind of be on his back and rightly so because there was a lot of excuses the same with Lacazette oh he's a big game player he creates people said Firmino does that yeah he creates but his creativity is overstated you know I'm not saying it's not good but you're making out that it's Lionel Messi uh, in the creative role it's not he needs to score more he's a good player Firmino and he needs to bag more and definitely with the signing of someone like Thiago who's working his way back from injury you know that whole the creative the selflessness for the team it kind of don't have any much things and I'm not saying just Liverpool fans but this is what fans do when they don't want to call a spade a spade it's like in no world is it perfectly wrong to is it wrong to say Firmino is a good player he should score more you know it's a it's a mad one, but Liverpool got over the line. Like I said, it was a tough, well-fought victory and Liverpool got over the line and that's the mark of champions. And nobody, I'm sure Liverpool fans, City fans, football fans in general would say Liverpool or City look perfect, but it's a vital three points for Liverpool, especially considering, you know, that Man City drops two points against West Ham, you know, Man United and Chelsea drew, you know, Ar um, Arsenal lost, you know, Spurs won, you know, they're the only ones and I don't think, apart from City the Liverpool really are focusing on all them teams but you've got to really and truly and it's almost like Arsenal is frustrating because we I don't think we're in any title race but you can kind of make I always want to make ground on our team on our on the opposition when they've dropped points regardless of if they're Liverpool or Man United or whoever people um, so it's a bit, it's a, it's a weird one like that, really and truly. Um, Sander Burgess' penalty was the first penalty Liverpool have faced at Anfield in 37 Premier League games since a nil-nil draw with Manchester City in October 2018. People. Um, moving away from that, the big game of the weekend was Chelsea versus Manchester United. If you was hoping for drama, for goals, you got none of that. Be real, both teams, Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, with the level of scrutiny both people are facing, would have taken a point. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like he was a dead man walking. And, you know, with beating PSG, with this result, with a couple of decent results, you know, I'm not going to say it's gone away because the Pochettino links are still there in the background, but he's done what he could somewhat to kind of quiet it down. Lampard isn't facing any sack, but I'm not going to lie. It is going to take time. And to be fair with you, it's been a matter of months for that team to be together. And you've also got to remember, you know, players are, are all developing at different rates. You know, pre-season injuries, these all have factors. But, you know, for the money they've spent to have, what, one or no shots, I can't remember the, the, the statistics on targeting the whole game, was quite atrocious, people. They're spending too much money for that to ever be a thing. Like, if I just go courtesy of Google, because I, I actually want to see the statistics, people... Um, 
and you look at this nil-nil draw, I don't know how um, Maguire needs to stop pulling people in the box because I do not know how Chelsea didn't have a penalty, funny enough, people. Um, obviously, big up Cavani for making his debut. He's up there alongside Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I'm sure, for being the oldest Manchester United players. Um, if I just bring it, where is it? Yeah, people, one shot on target, six shots from Chelsea for all that money spent for, for a starting eleven of Pulisic, Havertz, um, Werner, you know, Jorginho with a pass behind them, Reese James who can play football, you know, you've got Abraham Mount and Ziyech off the bench to have one shot on target is atrocious, the players have to take it upon themselves because they're playing at Manchester United, they're playing in a big game, they players have got to want to be the difference but at the same time it comes down to coaching and I think first and foremost someone like Kai Havertz, he is adaptable but you run the risk of being a, a jack of all trades, master of none he can play up front, he can play on the flanks you know, I know he can play as a false nine but for me, I think he's best at home in a 10 position, a sort of, you know, that sort of role, play players in their best positions you know, I do think it, Chelsea could have a bad Boy team, you've got Werner who is going to score goals in this league, in my opinion. Pulisic, you know, different gravy. Havertz, you know, you got Ziyech, you got bare players. People for Man United, the play was quite stale. You know, it's again Daniel James. Surely they're going to get rid of him. But a point is a point, and it's a good point for both sides. If we're honest with you, there's no losers. It weren't the best of games to watch, of course, people. But both teams simply lived to fight another day. Now, yesterday you saw Spurs play against Burnley. People, Harry Kane and and Son Heung-min seem to keep their link up going. They go. They, I mean, you can't name a better duo, people, apart from probably Bun and Cheese or um, Bun and Cheese with Milo as well. Bring it make it a trio you can't really name a better duo at the moment and I believe you know they're on 29 in terms of combined assist people they've moved ahead of Henri and Perez you know let's see if they move ahead of them for trophies um only jump only Didier Jogba and Frank Lampard have managed more with 36 and you'd back Spurs specifically Sun Hyun Min and Harry came to get over the line I think Spurs were, were um, I think Burnley were unlucky you know I think Burnley worked quite hard but at the same time I don't think Spurs were poor I think they were quite sluggish weren't really creating I feel Ben Davis and Dyer weren't poor but there was like at least two lapses in concentration Burnley could have exploited I must admit I'm a big fan of Doherty but I'm not really rating his thing since he signed for, for Spurs you know I'm not really rating Doherty too tough really I'm not going to lie to you lot Spare a thought for Daly Alley. Daly Alley's not even in the matchday squad. And, you know, with Europa this first day, maybe some rotation. You'd expect Bale to start. You know, their Brazilian striker on long, the seniors, I believe, to probably start. There'll be some rotation. Um, I think Jose could have got La Celso and, and potentially Lemayna on sooner. But at the end of the day, you know, they had to remain rigid. They had to fight. And I think Spurs did their job. But actually, I was impressed with Spurs defensively. They were playing the high line. They were doing what they could in a tactical way to disadvantage Burnley from taking advantage of set pieces and stuff as you know they can um, Burnley are quite a poor football inside to watch but I think their fullbacks have Charlie Taylor's got to offer more and Loughton never wanted to help Goodmanson on the overlap obviously Harry Kane he got an assist and Son scored but we've got to remember defensively you know he cleared a shot off the line well headed a shot off the line so big up Kane people and you know not a fan of Spurs, but I, I'm a fan of Harry Kane and Sun Heung Min just as a football purist. They're two lovely footballers. As I was saying, spare a foot for Delhi Ali. Can't even get in a match day squad. People like I said, Bale and the the striker Junior and all these guys will probably play on Thursday. But considering it's a Euros year, you ain't been called up to the last one or two um, England squads as a result of not playing. It's a bit concerning. It's like Jose said, you know what? Endon Bile's in my good books now. Delhi, you're 
pardon me, Delhi, you're the next guy I have to get on. I need us. I need a centre mid to get on. So it's gonna be you. Um, but who knows, man? Tottenham have kept just two clean sheets in their last 28 Premier League away games, both in goalless draws last season against the relegated side Bournemouth and Watford. And we know clean sheets, Spurs are scoring a lot of goals. They, I swear they have to be the top goal scorers in the league or definitely second. Um, but clean sheets, you know, they're still yet to win at home, I believe. And clean sheets, you know, clean sheets is what's going to make the difference. Against West Ham, they put them to the sword. The team had an inability to defend. Spurs can, can potentially do something special this season if they can keep a clean sheet. And the same goes for Arsenal, the same goes for Chelsea, the same goes for any team that has any ambitions, whether it's staying in the league, winning the league or top four. You know, defence does makes the difference over a 38-game period. Your, your Harry Kane's, your sons, these lot can dig you out with their individual quality. But more importantly than that is from the striker to the keeper, game in, game out, how you defend and how you manage games. So it is what it is in that regards, people. Um, so, yeah, quite the quite the bookie week in terms of um, Premier League action. And, you know, it is the best league in the world, in my opinion, people. I'm not going to sit here and cap to you lot. Um, I'm not going to cap. Obviously, you all saw West Ham against Man City as well. We'll get on to that. But before that, you had West Brom against Brighton. A point doesn't help either side. Carlon Grant, seven minutes from time, helped his team, West Brom Ajalbian, nick a point after an own goal um, from from Jake Livermore. You know, Carlon Grant has scored four goals in his last six away league games after netting just one in six before that. Since the start of last season, no side has benefited from more own goals in the Premier League than Brighton with five alongside Spurs. Jake Livermore's own goal was West Bromwich Albion's first Premier League first in the Premier League since December 2017 against Arsenal in which James McLean did that. So it is a bit of a it's a bit of a dodgy one but I'm sure neither team will care especially West Brom. West Brom need to get points on the road and you you could hear their manager um Bielik, he was quite upset. Um, is it El Ghazi? He he went off to Saudi Arabia. He joined the Saudi Arabian club on loan after giving his assurances that he would stay. And what I would say to Bielik is a promise is a comfort to a fool. I'm not saying you're silly. I'm just saying, you you know, you can't trust people in this economy. Moving away from that, though, people, Manchester City dropped two points against West Ham and apparently David Moyes is in line for a new deal. A lot of people were saying West Ham at a point were playing better because David Moyes weren't there. Obviously, sadly, he was recovering from Corona, but it looks like he was managing from his hospital bed and he's back and he's showing the David Moyes of Everton and potentially the one that kind of hoodwinks Man United into bringing him in, you know. West Ham, that's a big point against Man City and to be fair, they took the lead, you know. Yeah, we could say West City were wasteful, they didn't take their chances, they were sluggish, but I think we typically do that when you've got a team like City and Liverpool against a lesser side. You have to give credit to the other side because at the end of the day, a football game is 22 players on the field. You know, Phil Foden came on at halftime and he obviously scored to make sure they walk away with a point. What a cracking finish it was from Mikel Antonio. He made Saturday night and nothing and he's shown why since the restart in June, only Harry Kane with 12 has scored more Premier League goals than the West Ham striker slash winger slash I've even seen him play right back. You know, he's got 11. He's a cool guy. I've actually met him in person and I've got a West Ham shirt in my wardrobe signed by him. So... I actually like to see him and Townsend because they're two of the first footballers I met. Just two real cool brothers to do well. Big up now Ranger as well because he was blessed people. But on the topic of Phil Folding and saving the day, um, he has now scored in three of his last four away Premier League games for City with three in total after failing to find the back of the net, the net in any of his previous 13. So he's gaining greater importance. 
It was a Southwest derby, Fulham against Crystal Palace and Fulham more misery continues as Crystal Palace defeated them two goals to one. The only positive from Fulham was that banger at the end from Kearney. Too little too late but a good finish none the wiser. Kamara was sent off for a tackle on Eze after VAR showed that it was quite of a... It wasn't, I wouldn't say there was malice in it but it's silly play. It's, it's, it's dangering another professional, you know. Just because it's not done with intent doesn't mean it's not reckless and, you know, there will be more of those similar incidents incidences and there has been um, in terms of people being sent off after initially being shown a yellow. Wilfred Zaha got a goal and an assist, you know, it was a good assist for um, Reed World um, and it was also good for a finish from him to get on the end of it um, for, for Zaha's goal and obviously you saw him collateral at the post but if he didn't do that, you know, Crystal Palace don't win or, or such. But um, Zaha has scored five goals in his last six Premier League games, as many as in his first, as, as his previous 41 combined. We know Zaha is a good player, but what will make the difference for Zaha is specifically goals and assists. And if he doesn't get them, you know, he might not get a move, which I'm sure he's been waiting a couple of years for. Fulham have lost three, their last three home Premier League games by a three-plus goal margin, scoring none and conceding 10, which is quite gazy. You know, it is quite gazy. Finally, people, and a game that was very good, assuming I ain't missed anything else out, Villa, who were also, you know, doing a good run to the season, come crashing down to earth as they're put to the sword 3-0. Three goals to Leeds, one three goals to nil. Patrick Bamford got a hat-trick. Can't say I've seen Lacazette do that. Um, you know, Bamford's last two goals, I'd say for me, the second goal, the second and third, but the second one in particular, things of beauty. And it's a good look for Bamford, you know. It's, again... I don't think he goes to the Euros, but, you know, the more you, you, you score goals, the more you complicate things. Like, there's a lot of strikers that are probably in the Euro debate now. Like, for me, you know, Harry Kane is the one that's got Defoe going. Mason Greenwood, Defoe. But you look at what? You got, you could have Kane. You could have Mason Greenwood. You could have Jamie Vardy if rumours are true and he comes out of retirement. Calvert-Lewin is bagging goals. Danny Ings, you know, outside a chance with people like Patrick Bamford, you keep keep scoring goals, the media get behind you, you know, there's probably a couple other men are missing out, it's an interesting one in relation to strikers and whatnot people, Danny Welbeck is playing for Brighton, you know, Southgate is beaky, you know, he's play, you get you get on a run of games, you might go to the Euros, now I'm playing, I don't feel Welbeck goes, but it'd be interesting to see what happens for the Euros, because again, you look at someone like Loftus-Cheek and Daly Alley, you know, Fulham and Spurs respectively, not being called up if I remember correctly, need to have good seasons. Big three points for Leeds, and I think everybody wants them to stay in the Premier League. They're doing what they need to do, people. Patrick Bramford has scored six goals in Leeds' first six league matches this season. Obviously, the hat-trick flatters it. Only Eric Cantona in 92-93, also six, has scored as many goals for the Whites at this stage of the Premier League campaign. You know, if you're mentioned with Eric Cantona in anything, you must be doing all right. Leeds winners moved them to third in the Premier League table, which is their highest position um, since September September the 20th, 2002, which was the year Brazil won the World Cup. And I was in year two. Um, Leeds have scored 12 goals this season, the most by a newly promoted club after six games um, in of a season in the division since Middlesbrough did so in 92-93, also with 12. Bamford is, is also is the first Leeds player to score more than more than once in an away league game in the Premier League since both Mark Viduka and Harry Kill did so at Fulham in April. I mean at at Charlton in April 2003. My Fulham notes were unknown as to why I read it. Moving away from the Premier League. In fact, before we move away, I might as well look at the Premier League table for you guys, people, really quickly. 
Premier League table, not Premier League results, Siri. Come on now. Why would we need that? And it's a it's a it's it's a bit of a dodgy one, you know. It's a Merseyside thing in first and second. Everton and Liverpool are in first and second respectively. Goal difference probably makes the difference for Everton. In third place, you've got Aston Villa. Fourth, you've got Leicester. Fifth place, you've got you've got Spurs. In sixth place, you've got Leeds United. Seventh, you've got Southampton. Eighth, you've got Crystal Palace. Ninth and tenth, you've got Wolves and Chelsea. Eleventh place, which is worse than last year. Nine points, you've got my club, Arsenal. Behind them, you've got West Ham. Thirteenth, you've got Man City. Fourteenth, you've got Newcastle. In fifteenth place, rightly so, and I'm happy to see that because their fans give me a lot of grief. Manchester United are fifteenth. Brighton are sixteenth. West Ham, West Brom apologies are 17th and the relegation zone comprises of a team I expect to go down. One of the only assurances is Fulham. Sheffield United have had a bit of a dodgy start to the Premier League and they can't really complain and they find themselves there as well. Um, Valiant effort against Liverpool, but ultimately no points. And you've got Burnley, you know, potentially Sean Dykes might find himself under pressure. I think West Brom will go down and one of Sheffield and Burnley will beat the drop. But again, who knows? And it could very well stay the same. The beauty is, you know, there's 32 Premier League games left, people. So you can't draw any conclusions in relation to winning the league, top four, top 10, relegation or whatever, people. We can just enjoy it. And our Premier League might lack the randomness is what makes it brilliant, in my opinion. Um, And long may it continue, really and really and truly. I mean, what else is there to there to say? Let's move on to the Champions League, people, because the Champions League is also happening and actually it starts today people first and foremost you've got locomotive moscow against bayern munich you've got Shakhtar the Nets also against inter milan which if that if Shakhtar's game is anything like the real madrid one it should be a tasty one you've got marseille against manchester city man city travel to marseille liverpool against michelin you've got borussia much and gladback at home against real madrid atletico madrid will play against albi salzburg RB Salzburg. You've got Porto against Olympiacos. Tasty one. You've got Atlanta against Ajax. That's a decent one for the football neutrals. They're they both teams that like to bop it. You've got Kranznostor against Chelsea. You know me. I can't do the pronunciation thing. You've got Istanbul against PSG. You've got Ferencaros against Dynamo Kiev. You know. You've got Juventus tomorrow against Barcelona. The last two games I've said as well, also tomorrow. And that's going to be interesting because PK, like an idiot, got himself sent off in the last fixture. So it's going to be an interesting one. Both teams took three points in their opening games. We all know it. there's not too much difference between winning the group or coming second now because anyone can face anyone. But it could, mean the di- it could make the difference. You've got Club Rouge against Lazio. Lazio defeated Dortmund, so I'm sure they want to continue that. You've got... RB Leipzig, in the same way you had Salzburg playing, you've got RB Leipzig um, travelling to Old Trafford. You've got Dortmund welcoming welcoming Zenit to their place. And you've got Rennes against Seville. And that's going to be an interesting game for me to watch because, as you lot know, you've got Camavinga, you've got Jeremy Doku. Rennes have a couple of decent little players, them. You know, away from that, though, if we look at the Europa League now, where the real Europa, European football powerhouses are at, you know, Big up to Arsenal, never big up Spurs. But this is what it's all about. On Thursday, you've got AEK Athens welcoming Leicester City. You've got Kat Yarabag against Villarreal. You've got Le Barak versus... I can't say... Is that a red star? I don't know, man. Is That's... 
C-R-V-E-N-A-Z-V-E-Z-D-A against Liberic people. I can't pronounce that one there, so I'm not even going to try. I don't even know about that team there, but I've spelled it out. Google that one. You've got L-A-S-K who lost to Spurs against Ludogrets. You've got Antwerp um, welcoming Spurs to Belgium. You've got Sivospor against Tel Aviv. You've got Gent and Hoffenheim. You've got CSK Moscow against Dynamo Zagreb. Feyenoord and Wolfsburg. You've got Zora against Braga. AC Milan against Sparta Prague. You've got Leo welcoming Celtic. You've got Molder versus Rapid Vienna. And that's of interest to me because that's my group. You've got Rangers, Steven Gerrard's Rangers against Lake Poznan. You've got Nice against... Um, I don't know that team's name as well, people. That one there is a bit of a madness. I think this is an Israeli side. Um, and I do think it's one of them where the name... Or the name to we know as English fans isn't the same. But H... Um, H dot B E R S V S H E V A people. So that's H dot B E E R S H E V A. And again, man, it's just feeling like Master League every time I pre Europa League. You've got Sociedad against Napoli. You know, Sociedad have been playing quite well in La Liga and quite high for the La Liga rankings. You've got Slavia against Leverkusen as well. You've got Cruz against Lumberg. You've got Standard Liège traveling to Benfica. AC Ammonia will play PSV, Arsenal against Don Dork, Roma against CSKA Sofia, Granada against Pacal, P-A-O-K, you've got AZ Alkmaar against Rijeka as well, so it's, it's, it's bound to be a good one, apologies for butchering teams' names, I mean no disrespect, you know, I'm just not good at that sort of thing in particular, um, you know, Away, away, away from all of that, though, people. I know you all watched El Clasico. Real Madrid won three goals to one. It was nice to see Asu Fati create, make, continue to create history and score. But I think you know, Cumin took too long with the subs, and I think you know they were a bit negative. I think they were just poor, poor defensive mistakes. I think Busquets is on a serious decline. I think PK struggled. Um, I think Jordi Alba was quite good. I think Fati was quite good. I think Messi sulked a lot. Um. And, you know, Messi hasn't bagged in six El Clasicos. I think the last time he scored in one, Ronaldo was in the league and Messi's a great player, you know, but we need to ask these questions when he's not doing it. You know, Modric, Ramos and Valverde conf um, confirmed three points for, for Real Madrid, of course. Zidane's had a lot of pressure on him, you know, really and truly. Um, they even lost in the in the Champions League and they've been a bit woeful all season. But he is now unbeaten in six Clasicos at the Camp Nou. Um as Real Madrid manager in all competitions, um, you know, at 17 years of age in 359 days, Asu Fati has become the youngest scorer, youngest player to score in El Clasico in all comps in the 21st century, breaking the previous record held by Vecinius Junior, who at 90, was 19 and 20, 233 days. Nice to see. Real Madrid have won their first El Clasico of La Liga season in one of the last 12 campaigns, losing eight drawing two, coming coming that win that win coming at the Santiago Bernabeu in 2014 so they've ended a poor bit of run in other news Don I've done a video about it people and I implore you all to listen to it unfortunately Jeremy Wistain forgive me for mispronunciation young man 18 17 18 years of age was a defender and born in Malawi moved over to the UK with his family was part of Man City's academy um before recently leaving sadly um he's taking his own life allegedly reports say that from what i read from the family they're still waiting on 
the coroner's report and whatnot, but it's widely speculated he lo- he took his own life. And again, I think this raises the question for... I'm not going to lie, I think Premier League clubs and clubs do a lot. They, they definitely can do a little bit more to safeguard and stuff, but they definitely do a lot. But, um, you know, I think this raises in question, you know, clubs doing a bit more to safeguard the future, potentially parents and clubs opening players to the possibilities of doing more things beyond football and realising that when one thing ends, it's never de- it's never truly the end. You know, I really sympathise with him because I can imagine the social media presses, you know, little pressures, you know, apparently he's had injuries, he's been released. I can see how this can have a negative effect on someone and make them feel the only way out is to end it. And it's sad. It's sad because nobody like you lot know. I don't. I'm not going to say that I know anyone, but um, I'm pretty sure no one decides to take their own life, just wakes up one day, decides to take their own life. It's, a, it's probably something that plagues at people for time and it's something that they probably come close to doing but never get to do. So if he could go to, if he gets to that final stage and goes over that line, why has he got to that moment? Why has he felt like he couldn't speak to anyone? You know, it's quite sad. Nine times out of ten, you know, it's the ones that are probably the most, you know, I could, I don't know him but I could imagine because there's a current theme, he's probably one of the most bubbliest people around his friends or was around his friends, you know, but behind closed doors, you never know the battles people are facing. It is quite sad and I hope, I hope, you know, his soul is resting in peace. I hope his family can find some sort of strength, people. You know, just by looking at um at their parents speaking, they've said, we've been inundated with messages from different types of people we would not expect to hear from. We are very grateful for that and it has helped us to, co- to cope. But it is still so difficult to understand how we came to be in this situation. During the last year at Man City, he was injured and spent a long time without playing. He did recover, but then had not played enough football the year prior to be considered for the next level. Of course, it was frustrating for him. He went for trials elsewhere because he hadn't played much football. It proved difficult. We helped look after. We helped him look after himself and encouraged him to take up other sports to take himself fit until he left us. He enjoyed his time at Man City very much. We are very grateful for the opportunity they gave our son. In particular, his first coach, Mark Burton, he was an amazing coach and they won three national championships for their age when he was younger. Um, I think that football clubs and, and schools need to pay more careful attention to the mental health of their boys and girls. I also think boys and girls whose com- contracts come to an end or are released by all clubs need some care beyond that time. I think there's often too much focus on this at the professional level in sport, but maybe not so much at the lower level. Furthermore, it would be good if mental health education was extended to parents. I think it would help cases like our son. It, we want to prevent a family going through the same experience. And that's sad and it's chilling and it's true. There should be mental health for parents. Maybe pre- mental health for everybody connected with football and in life. Can we look to read signs of depression or if someone's not there? Can we open up healthy conversations where we can have these? Because again, I don't want to go over the same stuff. Please go and check out my video on YouTube on this. But at the same time, people, I sympathise with this young man. He's 17, 18. My nephew is 19. You know, I'm not too much older than this guy, you know, so I can see what he's going through. You know, as males, I know we're making a lot of progress with speaking about our feelings, with not saying things like man up and all of these sort of things. But, you know, we're chasing thousands of years with that masculinity sort of thing. Not that it makes you any less masculine for talking about your opinions. I mean, talking about your feelings, you get it, and whatnot. I feel it's difficult for men full stop, but definitely for black Africans and black Caribbean men or black British Africans and Caribbeans alike. Because... You know, males in total, but we've got that a bit more because I do think, I do think in relation to mental health, I do think, I'm not going to say black folk are behind, but we can be, 
I'd say we're pro- I-, I would say we're moving forward, but I say we're the less open to it. We always think we're good. Like I know a lot of our older generation, and it's down for the parents to unlearn these toxic things as well. When you say things to your children, like oh. What are you upset about? You've got a roof over your head. You've got food in your belly. You've got uh, um, clothes on your back. That's it. It's not as basic as that. We've got open conversations. As a young black man, I can sympathise with him because we 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 kind of put it upon ourselves to be hard body all the time, to be tough, and you know, to just soldier everything, take everything on the on 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 the on the shoulders. Or like I always say, or people always say, charge it to the game, firm that, hold that, and all of that is good with in isolation. But too much of that, you know, no man is an island. You know that 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 one man army can very much become a prison and a lot of people can become a prison in their mind myself included because i'm not going to say i've been through what my man's been through but i've been through some tough times i've been through times where i think there's no way out people i've told you lot already previous vid when i was depressed when you know I, I went on about 20 30 job interviews people all telling man no you know i was it weren't even an ignorant thing you know my mom couldn't even understand why am i getting turned down i was going cv workshops you know i was asking for feedback when they're turfing me like i said i was going cv workshop job workshop you know one of them ones you learn about the company you you know you make sure not memorize but you make sure you can answer and say a couple wavy stuff Everything weren't happening, people. I'm getting turned down. There's financial pressures, you know. The YouTube thing weren't banging as well, even when, you know, because I remember when I first started YouTube, I was still struggling on the job market. A lot of things weren't going right. And I used to just sit in Tottenham Hell, people. Tottenham, Tottenham Marshes, apologies. Late at night, late at night, when you really shouldn't just... just I, I weren't crying, but close to tears, people. Like In fact, there was probably a couple of tears. Just... just looking at the sky aimlessly like oh god allow me man when's this gonna end like i can't do this no more like sort of thing so i know exactly how it feels and it is upsetting people it really is upsetting that nobody could help and the parents are probably gonna feel that they've done something wrong you know what did we do to not make him want to speak and they probably didn't do nothing you know it's one of them things there's no one to blame here you know and i hope they don't blame themselves man because no one should have to bury their children so i can't be i don't have a child and I, I definitely can't comprehend what the mother and father, mother in, in particular, because she birthed that child, you know, the, it is the father's seed, you know, he come from his father's thing, but, you know, she nurtured him, you know, he she was he was literally part of her for nine months, you know, eating the same food they're eating. It's, a mother's bond with her child is a different sort of thing, you know, so to see, you know, no one wants to bury their mother, I don't want to bury my mother, I want to die before my mother, but that would be a selfish thing for me to say, because it will break her heart, no mother deserves to lose their son, so only God, I hope God mends her heart, and just can give her strength, man, because it's, it's, it's I, can't, I don't know what to say, people, it's sad, man, it's sad, moving away from that, though, and keeping up the theme with black history, people, apparently West Ham first team coach Paul Nevin says there's been a complete underrepresentation of black managers in the English game and that the next generation need more role models to aspire to, which is a fact, people. As you lot know, this is a man who's worked at West Ham since February of this year. He's previously worked at Fulham, Norwich, Brighton and England and has also worked in Australia and Qatar. He also told people... I've been looking recently and out of the 240 managers there have been in the Premier League, only nine have been from a black or ethnic minority background. 
background obviously that reflects a complete underrepresentation. I mean, it goes up the levels. You know, you look at Arsenal, my club, I look at the players, very diverse. I look at the coaching staff and the medical staff, the numbers begin to die to die, to, to, to die down. In fact, there is none. You look at the, the, the boardroom, there is none. I'm not saying I want black faces in, the, in there for the sake of it. I, you can't tell me there are not black individuals out there, whether former players or not, that could do something. And I'm not saying any club's racist necessarily, but it's that unconscious bias. It is that old guard, old boys club where you just keep employing your friends and you know for for a premier league that you know we could talk about we could have how many 11s people of black players among the premier league years to have only had nine coaches is poor and again it is down to black people to do more to get into those positions but i can't blame players you know if the gate if, if it's not open and whatnot and we're at a difficult stage because there is a certain black manager now, you know, you get those folk where I'd say all oh, skin folk ain't kin folk. They get in positions and they hide. There's a certain coach that's at, that's at Spurs now that's been a, a first team manager. You know, when he hasn't got a job, he's doing this whole woe is me, you know, let's get black people into jobs. When he's in one, he's very silent. In fact, when I was at a kick it out event, you know, the FA chairman said he was trying to organise, you know, behind the scenes meetings in, with, with black professionals and black promising professionals in the game to see what could be done this guy said he turned it down he was scared he didn't want to lose his role anytime you again you got your bills to pay and whatnot but anytime you're thinking of me and not the collective you've told us well it is people i would like to see more people really and truly to only have nine is is ridiculous that represents about 3.75 percent people um and we do need role models within the game you know i'm not going to read it all out but paul nevin in this article went on to speak very highly of chris hewton in particular people Moving away from that and speaking of black coaches, you know, Eddie Eddie Newton's over there at Transuspo, Trans, I can't say their name, over in Turkey, the former Chelsea lad. And, you know, he's brought Lewis Baker over there with him on loan. And apparently he's brought sports scientist Malcolm Hackness to his backroom staff at the club as well. Hackness is also the son of Chelsea's long-lasting head of sports science and psychology, Tim Harkness. So again, you know, Big up him, but that could also highlight bringing, you know, people in special positions, bringing your family members through as well, which is everything wrong with the game. Apparently, according to James Pierce, Liverpool are set to finally make the move to their new 50 million training complex in Kirby next month. The Premier League champions were initially scheduled to leave their historic Melwood ground at the end of last season. However, those plans were shelved due to delays to the construction project people. Melwood was sound, sold for around 10 million to be turned into a, into housing, but Liverpool inserted a clause that gave them the option to stay put for the entire of this season in the event of unforeseen circumstances. And it is going to be quite good because, you know, apparently Jordan Henderson and Milner amongst other senior players have had an input. Jurgen Klopp's been very hands-on. It also brings closer the academy and the first team, which is also good people. And it's been in the makings for a while, so it must be exciting times, people. It really must be exciting times. You know, this is a, you know, I'm sure many Liverpool fans will be upset to see the back of Melwood because it's been about for 60 odd years. I'm 25, it's 60 years of age, so many fans have seen that been and come and gone. Apparently, Manchester United are closing in on appointing a data scientist to support research across a number of areas at the club people. Adam Crafton reports, head of the head of football development, John Mutong, has whittled down a list to a handful of candidates whose credentials will be presented to Joel Fraser and Ed Woodward for final selection. Apparently, this is expected to result in a hire within a month. Apparently, United um, had originally had already had originally apologies um, very early morning. 
had a very long list of targets from the footballing world, but are now looking at a more corporate, external hire, possibly from a pharmaceutical background, although this is not guaranteed. Man United wants someone who can study data across a number of performance indicators, including medical and recruitment, but will also be able to straddle the side, the business side of the club. The role is a step in the direction of United establishing their own research unit, research unit similar to what Liverpool have done with Dr. Ian Graham. Graham holds a Cambridge degree in theoretical physics and his mo- and and his modelling has helped improve Liverpool's record on injury prevention, conditioning and off-field performance and recruitment. So we'll have to see what happens in that regards. Apparently three Premier League footballers recorded positives in drug tests during the 2019-20 season they are found not to have broken any rules and were allowed to continue playing by UK anti-doping UKAD it is understood one of the banned substances a player tested positive was I can't say that methadone date which is often sold under the trade name Ritalin the stimulated medication medica- medication is most commonly used to treat attention deficit hyperactive hyperactivity disorder so whatever that means um, but apparently it, it, it can enhance explosiveness powerness and strength or and stamina apparently um another another player tested positive for a substance which i am not going to try to pronounce but apparently it's used to treat inflammatory and allergic disorders it can also help athletes train more often and at a higher intensity now sometimes people are not using things intentionally but of course it does put up the debate um, apparently the ident the one that's concerning the most the identity of the third substance was with was withheld by UCAD the athletic understands this is because it relates to an ongoing investigation so the others are probably just a byproduct of taking it for other reasons unrelated to football which I'm not I'm not saying it is but you know the third one looks like there's a serious case and a potential story brewing you know apparently Henry Lansbury has turned down the offer of a payout on reduced terms as at as Aston Villa tried to offload him and it is funny I would like to of course Aston Villa isn't the same as Arsenal but is the media going to paint an English player as a money grabber as someone happy to sit on their hands I'm not too sure and I'm not saying they should because it doesn't matter if you're Mustafi if you're Henry Lansbury if you're Meze Ozil in this if you're Socrates if you're in this COVID environment yeah you should go and play football but in this COVID environment if you're thinking about finances you know and the fact that you might not get that elsewhere why not Lansbury no one put a gun to his head to sign that Villa contract yeah he's not playing yeah he's marginalized yeah he should leave but say he's happy at Villa say he believes he can play you know why would he want to accept it on reduced reduced terms help you lot for what a footballing career is, is short. Yeah, he could take reduced terms and negotiate a free transfer elsewhere, but he's entitled to stay for whatever reason he wants and not take a payout. And at 30 years of age, you know, he's got to think about everything, people. He has to think about everything, you know. Sadly, he hasn't started a Premier League game since last December, people, but he refused to go. Um, you know, he doesn't want to, you know. He signed in 2017, you know, on that three and a half year deal. He didn't want to do it. Um, he really didn't want to do it. Apparently, he continues to train at the squad, but he's not in Villa's 25-man squad. So again, you know, it's a bit like Ozil. How much do you want to play football? But again, I can't begrudge if he wants to stay for finance purposes, people. Away from that, though, apparently Zlatan Ibrahimovic has scored more Serie A goals this season than any other player with six. He's only played three games. He's now been directly involved in 21 goals since returning to AC Milan. Five assists, 20... I mean in 21 well yeah he's been involved in 21 goals and he's actually only played 21 games bagged 16 goals and got five assists so you know forever young 
Um, Paul Pogba's been a bit angry, as you lot saw. He's very upset about fake news. Apparently, he said he'll take legal action after reports have come um, come down that he will quit international football, allegedly in relation to, sadly, President Emmanuel Macron's comments in relation to Islam. You know, he said, absolutely 100% unfounded news about me are going around stating things I have never said or thought. Um I am against any and all forms of terror and violence. Unfortunately, some press people don't act responsibly responsibly when writing the news, abusing their press freedom, not verifying if what they write slash reproduce is true, creating a gossip chain without caring um, that it affects people's lives and my life. I am taking legal action against the publishers and spreaders of these 100% fake news, rightly so. As you lot know, people, um, Premier League clubs in particular have raised over £300,000 for charity. Um, and apparently the t- that, that pay-per-view Premier League scheme is set to continue, however. And again, like I said at the start of this, it's important to remember Mike Ashley voted for it. Only Leicester voted against it. But Mike Ashley, apparently, even though he's cheeky, I don't think he's wrong. He's called out the Premier League and asked them to review it. Um, like I already said, he voted in favour. Leicester was the only club that didn't. He said... This was because there were no realistic or any viable alternatives put forward to support to enable supporters to watch matches. Charging 1495 for a single televised match in the current climate is unacceptable to any football fan. You were still willing to take it. You're, you're trying to get good PR. You know it is, but you couldn't care less. It's not your problem. You don't care if people's mouths um, be fed. You know, we all know what you do at Sports Direct. We all know what you've been doing at Liverpool. You voted for it. You know, regardless, you might not have been the man who said it, but you are the club owner. It's not going to happen without you. You was willing to take that. You just saw the numbers. You saw Newcastle, one of the biggest supporter clubs in the land. No seats on bums. We're losing money. 1495, the fans will take it. And when the fans said, no, we're not taking this no more. We're streaming this thing and we're donating it to charity. You're trying to get on the good book. So it's absolutely ludicrous to see this from from Mark Ashley, uh, Mike Ashley. But he's telling the truth. He said, why not make it more accessible at at 4 95 per match until Christmas? You know, £4.95 would be better. But at the same time, I'm, I can't speak for anyone else, people. I am not paying an effing penny. You know, you get BT out of me, you get Sky Sports, you get Amazon. You're not getting anything else out of me. Unless it was Champions League, I'd consider and I'd still stream. You're not getting nothing out of me. And I hope you lot don't give them a penny either. They're trying to fleece us. They're quite frankly taking the fucking piss. Forget all of that. You know, they're not right. They, they, you know what, people, the government and the, and the, and football, they're mirroring each other. They're boying us. And it's time to rise up and say we're not taking any of this. You know, it's a vigilante thing now. We're not taking it. You know, big up all the streamers, big up all the ones that sell them bookie boxes with all the channels in the world on it. You know, big up everybody who's who's even doing a thing where going halves and whatnot with their boys, um, getting a Sky Sports or a BT and sharing the logins. I rate it. I rate it. Do what you can. Don't let them fleece you. Look, keep your money in your pockets. Give that £15 to food banks or donate it to charities where it'll actually be caused or go and buy something for someone on the street that's in need. Go buy them a jacket or, or, or food for 15 quid. Don't give it to the Premier League. What do they need it for? What do they need it for? They don't care. F them. But he went on to say, the government should waive VAT on the above pay-per-view matches so that as many as those who are unable to attend matches in person can at least watch their team. And to be fair, if it did go down to £4.95, you know, people are just going to crowd into yards. You know, they're going to say it's a five or what man them. You know, I'm going to pay the five or someone bring a booze. You know, we'll order a pizza. You know, we'll catch a vibe. We'll watch the game together. And with COVID in place, I'm not too sure. Sh- that will always be a thing. 
Apparently, the, process, the profit from the above reduced pay-per-view options, I would suggest that 50% would be retained by Premier League and 50% would go to the footballing pyramid below. So we'll see what happens in that regards. Moving away from that, though, and quickly speaking about transfers, people, not that it's transfer season, but to round this all up. Man City apparently like the look of Nagelsmann and Pochettino as potential replacements for Pep Guardiola as he is in the last year of his deal, um, people. Apparently, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who is... Man said Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I don't know why that's there, but moving away from it, Kylian Mbappe plans on winning the Champions League at PSG before moving on to a big club, according to current club ambassador and former PSG midfielder Yuri Dukovic. Dukosh? I can't say that name, but either way, yeah. That's, and that's interesting because I do think... Mbappe within the next 18 months will go to Real Madrid, Barca, maybe even Liverpool, one of these sort of teams that have the cash. You know, maybe not Liverpool, but they've been linked with him. Apparently, Milic is set to join Juventus um, next summer. Um, apparently, Sheffield United want to take Rojo on loan in January. Apparently, Oppo Meccano, um has been linked with United. Apparently, Arsenal and Juventus remain keen on signing Aura in January, but face competition from PSV. Apparently, Liverpool may decide not to sign a centre-back in January and wait for a longer-term prospect next summer, despite the serious injury to 29-year-old Netherlands defender Virgil van Dijk. Um, Modric has ruled out a, lo- a moving back in any capacity to Spurs. He said he's too old for that. Um, apparently, Real Madrid will only offer Spanish centre-back Ramos a one-year extension, but he wants a two-year deal, so that raised the question he could move. Mars has denied claims that he has openly discussed the possibility of joining Real Madrid or PSG. Um, where else have we got? Apparently, Juventus and Barcelona are interested in Ajax under-19 midfielder Ryan Grevenbach. He played against Liverpool and will keep getting better. And he's got the world at his feet, people, in my humble opinion. Apparently, Rudiger is to be reintegrated by Frank Lampard into the City squad, man, Chelsea squad. Um... Squadron Mustafi has rejected a contract offer by Arsenal people. I don't know what's madder, the fact that he's rejected it or the fact that we've offered him it. I'll leave you lot to draw your own conclusions. Apparently Spurs are hoping to negotiate an early termination of English left-back Danny Rose's contract, but the 30-year-old intends to demand the full 2.5-plus um, remaining on his deal, which runs until June next year. And he's entitled to take that, people, really and truly. Um, apparently, P- um, Premier League chiefs will be discussing a U-turn over the pay-per-view route. Um, you know, apparently, David Moyes is to be handed a contract extension following the club's resurgence since lockdown. But the club owners may delay opening talks until they are fully convinced the club will not be dragged into a relegation race. Apparently, and finally, Barcelona and France centre-back Umtiti, courtesy of Canal Plus via Sport Football London, has dismissed suggestions of a move to Arsenal. And I mean, he is always, always, always linked with Arsenal for whatever reason. But I think with that wraps up what's been a fantastic podcast, people. As I said, it was an interesting weekend for Premier League action. We've got Europa League and Champions League. You lot know me. I normally bring out two podcasts a week. You get one on Tuesday if if we've been if there's been Premier League on the Monday. Typically not Monday. Tuesday is podcast day. Monday if there's no Monday League football. Tuesday morning if it is. Friday, you know, we preview the weekend's action and we review the Champions League and the rest of it. So I hope to see you lot there, people. Make sure you're following on all the um 
necessary platforms spotify youtube anchor google apple if i haven't said it and whatnot i think i've got 1000 listeners on spotify you know so if you're watching this or listening to this on youtube go support oh and we just dropped something go support the thing on 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 spotify man i need all my numbers to match up i need to improve my spotify numbers and i need to improve my instagram numbers so give a give the guy a, a follow on instagram man on that note though i've got nothing more to add it's been a fantastic hour or so with you guys i hope you've enjoyed the podcast you know for, if you want more dg content then go and check out my youtube channel or just go and look at my previous podcast on that note though people dg thank you for listening i'm out